Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, along with CBS Sports Draft Analyst, Chris Trapasso. Chris, we're almost there, man. We're getting there. Like, we, we are marching down to the final moments here, and uh, we are, what, a week and a half away from actual draft time. How are you feeling, buddy? I wish the draft was like this upcoming Thursday. Like, I'm, I'm ready for it to be here, but I get it. Like, teams do need to do these top 30 visits to get to know these players, uh, I guess. Um, but yes, I'm excited. As we get inside two weeks, we start to get the um, speculation that a lot of which ultimately becomes true, especially that final week of the draft is like every second year on Twitter, like looking for a Jay Glazer or a Adam Schefter, of course, Ian Rappaport nugget about a team is obsessed with this prospect and they're going to trade up. So we're nearing that really, really fun week. Um, so for that, I'm very excited. Okay, let's start with that because it feels like there has been enough from some old school reporters about Bryce Young being number one overall, which I have always felt like was not going to change, that he was going to be the guy, that he was at the end of the college football season, the guy, he was going to remain the guy, even if other people tried to say somebody else was the guy. Uh, that's how I felt about it. I could be wrong, of course, but the number one overall pick. Are the Panthers taking Bryce Young in your mind? I think they are. I think the fact that Bryce, that their head coach, Frank Reich, came out about Bryce Young, I believe, at the owners' meetings and just said, like, hey, height's not a big deal like for us, which Frank Reich, being a 80s and 90s quarterback himself, and they have a veteran staff there that he's assembled in Carolina that we've discussed on this podcast, it, it wouldn't have been crazy for him to come out and kind of bring those tea leaves to the forefront to say, yeah, you know, we really like to have a quarterback that's like six, two or bigger. And he didn't say that he actually said that to the contrary. Then there was the report from the ESPN reporter. I believe his name's David Newton there for the Panthers who said like, Hey, it's pretty much down to Bryce young and CJ Stroud. Now I wouldn't bet my mortgage that it's Bryce young because I do think Stroud has a pretty good case. And I don't think, we're not talking about a Joe Burrow final season or a Trevor Lawrence prospect that certainly checks all the traditional boxes and has been hyped for multiple seasons um, like Trevor Lawrence in Bryce Young. But it, it does feel like he'll ultimately be the selection. And I'll say this, and maybe this can kind of segue in to something else that like we can discuss. I'm confident that Bryce Young will be one of the more, I don't want to say controversial, I don't want to say shaky number one overall picks but I think there's a lot more risk with him I just rattled off Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence number one overall picks especially at the quarterback spot that we've seen in the last couple of years 
Okay, well, let us expound on that, because what I wanted to ask you is, you know, now that we're really close and uh, the hay is in the barn, more or less, Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you feel confident in? You've been working on this thing for months and months and months, and you watched all the college football and you watched all the tape, and then you, you went to the combine, we were there together, and you heard all the buzz and you spent time at whatever that restaurant is called, where everybody is, Nitro, whatever, something. And uh, high velocity, I think uh, it's called. (laughs) It's got a cool name like that. That's right. The high velocity. Yes. Uh, Whatever. But it's that's the place to be. So we hung out there. We, you know, talked to all the people and everything else. I mean, what do you feel? What do you feel good about? This is kind of a broad question, but you feel like, okay, I, I, I don't know everything, but I sure know blank. Well, I just said that I think Bryce Young will be one of the more, I guess, like, I didn't want to use the word shaky, but I'm going to use it. Like, unsteady number one overall picks. Um, Now, that's not going to be the case on draft night. If the Panthers pick him at one or he goes to NFL Network, ESPN, they're all going to say, oh, this is a great pick. This guy's Drew Brees. I'll say this, and I don't want to be someone that's, like, just pointing out one game. Anyone listening, go on YouTube. It will take you 10 minutes. Watch Bryce Young against LSU and tell me that that is like the no questions asked, number one overall pick that was there at the beginning, maybe dealt with some Anthony Richardson buzz that moved the odds and now is back to being the odds on favorite. Because against LSU, I thought all of the warts with Bryce Young's game were on full display. And this is not like an LSU defense that has like Derek Stingley and the number one edge rusher and the and Devin White playing linebacker. It wasn't that great of an LSU defense this past year. The lack of arm strength, the kind of crazy improvisation at times. Um, there were still some good plays, and he brought them back in that game. But that game to me, that was one of the first that I watched, and I was a little bit like, oh, man. Like, I think he's still really good, but that was a little bit scary. Beyond that, um, I still think we're going to see a bunch of wide receivers go in the first round. And this is no disrespect to Jim Nagy, the executive director of the senior bowl, but he kind of created some buzz early this week when he tweeted that, Hey, you know, teams I've talked to really only have one first round grade at wide receiver. And that's Jackson Smith, the Jigba. I just feel like there are so many teams in the back half of the first round, including the Vikings that like have kind of a clear need at wide receiver. Now that doesn't mean that I think seven are going to go in the first round, but there's just too many where I, I, I still think, Zay Flowers is going to go in the first round. I'll be really surprised if Jordan Addison is not a first round pick. And Quentin Johnston, like, I'll be the first to say, even though he is my wide receiver one, that he probably doesn't play to his frame. Like, he's not Mike Evans in contested catch situations, but 41 inch vertical, a broad jump through the roof at that size with all that production. And he's clearly very talented after the catch just seems like those traitsy wide receivers even if they ultimately don't work out usually go in the first round so those two things Bryce Young me being a little unsteady with him and just very generally that we still will see kind of a normal collection three to four wide receivers go in the first round it's funny you bring that up because just on a podcast I did the other day with Eric Edholm of NFL.com, I was saying the same exact thing about receivers the positional value matters here and not just 
even if teams don't have a first round grade on them, I think that they will look around and say, look at San Francisco, look at Philadelphia. Like these teams support their quarterbacks with more and more weapons. Even when you could say, Oh, we need a guard. Oh, we need a safety, whatever, but they will still go back to that. Well. And I think that teams probably will, even if this isn't some sort of spectacular draft. Now, I guess with the, the quarterback situation, I'm feeling uh, like, do I want to, do I want to be bold? Is this confident or is this like bold? I almost feel like I want to say that there's going to be a huge gap between the third quarterback drafted and the next quarterback drafted. I like that is, that, one. is that, is that confident or is that bold or is it like being too hard on Will Levis maybe? No, I like that. I think uh, I've done so many mock drafts. I'm like forgetting which iteration of my latest mock this was, but I think it's the one that's out today um, that has Anthony Richardson going a little bit later. I've definitely done mock drafts where where Will Levis is the one who falls quite a bit. It feels like, I think almost because we talk about these quarterbacks so much that we just ultimately push them up the board and just feel like, they're going to go one, two, three, four, which I think I've done a mock that's had them one, two, three, four. The next week I was like, that's crazy. That's never happened. This is not the quarterback class to do that. It's a good class, certainly better than last year's class. But I almost think last year we all, and you mentioned, I certainly did it, but we all, even Daniel Jeremiah talked ourselves into, all right, Malik Willis is going to go four. Kenny Pickett's going to go 14. Desmond Ritter is going to go 22. And that certainly did not happen. So I, I feel like with Young and Stroud, and the upside of Anthony Richardson, I, I think those will be the first three quarterbacks off the board. But it wouldn't surprise me if the the unsteady final season for Will Levis um, and the, like really the fact that he was selling himself as this, I'm the athletic arm talent specimen and then was blown out of the water by, by Anthony Richardson in that regard, that could lead to him falling a little bit. And then you have Hendon Hooker, like maybe the first three or four go early and then Hendon Hooker is ultimately picked way later in the first round. See, I'm feeling more confident in Anthony Richardson than ever, which may be totally bogus and wrong. Like you said, I mean, this has happened many times. Although I did uh, a little bit of research here. It's very hit or miss on how accurate the mock community is with the quarterbacks. So last year was as absurd as it was to be that far off from what the NFL actually did that usually doesn't happen. So last mm -hmm. year was weird. Um, nobody believed Daniel Jones was going to get taken as high as he was taken. So there are surprises, but you know, usually they at least have in the ballpark, unlike last year, which was, you know, just weird because nobody seemed to want to put their name on any of those quarterbacks. But I, I feel like Anthony Richardson has had one of the best end of the season to present of yes anybody that I can remember. I mean, just like going to the combine and crushing it, having an excellent pro day, which does matter a lot to these people as Rick Spielman showed us on Twitter when he was dunking on Pete Prisco. Um, you know, of course, Vikings fans had a little sarcasm for Rick Spielman when it comes to evaluating and things like that. But, you know, these NFL teams matter a lot. And Spielman did a video talking about for the 33rd team, how he wasn't that impressed with some of the passing from Will Levis at his pro day. And so that's kind of got my wheels turning a little bit. Like I think he might drop and again, could be completely wrong, but that I feel a little bit more confident in. I feel confident that there is going to actually be some good corners in this draft. There have been mm -hmm. a lot of drafts and Jeff Okuda just got traded today. Like, 
there have been a lot of drafts where we are like, oh man, look at this corner. He's going to be spectacular. And then, eh, you know, even Derek Stingley last year just like wasn't even good. And Sauce Gardner blew him out of the water. But, um, you know, intern Haley, who works with me here, uh, she did a study on this and found that a lot of corners have gone bust recently. I just feel yeah. like this is a spectacular class. I, I mean, mm-hmm. even when we're talking about if the Vikings take the fourth or fifth corner and it could still be really good, uh, I think that this group has a lot to offer. Yeah, that's a good uh, general prediction because it, it's different than the last couple of cornerback classes where a couple of years ago it was like Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn. Like those are the guys. J.C. Horn hasn't been nearly as good as Patrick Sertan, not terrible. Last year it was all about Stingley and all about Sauce Gardner. This year's cornerback class, I think it's the second best group behind the edge rushers because I think in other classes, Deontay Banks would be the number one corner. In other classes, Joey Porter would be the number one corner. Um, Cam Smith, Devin Witherspoon, like it's deep, but not like, oh, hey, in the fourth round, you can maybe get Deontay Banks. These are first round caliber corners, most of which who tested like big time first round caliber corners. And I'm a firm believer that that is one position you might be able to be, I don't know, a linebacker and you're really good with your instincts and you can be a London Fletcher type that's not crazy fast and still make plays. At corner in today's NFL with the separators that you're going to see even as at wide receiver two across the entire NFL landscape, you need to be a big time athlete. And we saw those cornerbacks test almost all of them, the top tier guys. I didn't even mention Christian Gonzalez yet, who might be the first corner off the board. So yes, I think we're not going to necessarily see all five or all six that go in the first round become all pros, but just because of the numbers, the, the law of probability says that probably like half of them at least will be good. And based on recent history, like you mentioned that Haley researched, uh, if we get three quality corners from the first round that are like number one corners, that's a really good class and a really good showing for that position. Yeah. And I just feel like there is sometimes, as you mentioned, there's no middle class of corners. It's either there's like not. the absolute top and then there's this huge gap, and then they get taken in the second round. But this year, I think we could see that. And if somebody drops like Joey Porter, then, I mean, that might end up working out great for the Vikings. And then, um, you know, I'm also confident in this, that at the end of draft night, that the team that gets an A will be the Detroit Lions. And here's how I know. Here's how I know. One thing that I believe in, and there's a connection here, is that when people power rank stuff, it's just the standings. Right. It's just some version of the standings, right? Yeah. When draft graders, and I'm not pointing any fingers here, when they grade, they tend to grade whoever had the most draft picks, like the getting A's. Yeah. And and this happened, this happened in the WNBA draft just yesterday. So the Lynx drafted number two overall and then had three other picks. And everyone gave them an A plus. You're like, yeah, they drafted number two overall. And there's two good prospects in this draft. A. Like this, you know, it's not it's not yeah. rocket science a lot of times. I looked up the Jimmy Johnson chart. The Vikings have 1,000 points on that chart, which is difficult to be that low. The Lions have 3,000 points. They have literally three times the draft capital of the Minnesota Vikings. And I think no matter what they do, that the next day, especially since there's been so much Lion buzz, everyone's going to be like, restore the roar. That team crushed the draft. Yeah, that's a really good point. That does happen a lot. And I feel like maybe we've talked about this before. And I think because of the fact that we have talked about it, when I'm grading, and I'm pretty sure I'm I'm going to be doing this again from rounds two until all the way to the end of the draft, I'm grading every pick in real time for CBS. I factor that in, that I'm not just like, oh, wow, look at this 
the Seahawks have traded back six times. And I'm just going to give them an A. Last year, to kind of defend myself here and, and to kind of um, prove it, that last year I did not like Jermaine Johnson. And when the Jets picked him with their third first-round pick, I think they – did they trade back into the first or something? Everyone was like, oh, my God, Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson. Love those picks. Gave those A's. But I was like, I just was not on the Jermaine Johnson train whatsoever. And everyone's like, they got someone that should have been a top 10 pick at 27. And I'm like, no, he was there at 27. There was a bunch of teams, including the Jets, that already passed on him twice. So, yes, that probably will happen because the Lions have those two first-round picks. Especially, this will be kind of like an oxymoron because especially if they pick Bijan Robinson because of all the buzz for him, like, oh, look, they lost Jamal Williams. Like, they get their feature back. They have DeAndre Swift, but they really need that number one guy in the backfield. When in reality, that would actually be a bad allocation, of course, of a first round pick, regardless of how good B. Jen Robinson can be early in his NFL career. So you're right. The teams with the multiple picks, maybe the Seahawks too, because they were such a feel good story last year and they have two uh, first round picks in this draft. Folks, it's almost time for summer, and I've got something to give you a boost. It's called AG1 by Athletic Greens. I'm giving AG1 a try because I generally eat terribly, and I am no good at all at remembering to take vitamins. So I'm trying to get in better shape during the football offseason, and drinking AG1 in the morning to start my day is a simple way to get rolling. It provides a nice boost of energy right off the bat, so I can get into all the speculation required to report on this team. And one once you make it a habit, it is very easy to stick with. AG1 helps with recovery, the immune system, and just overall nutrition. Just mix one scoop with water and you are good to go. And it costs less than $3 a day. Almost as good of a deal as signing up for Purple Insider. Look, it's a comprehensive solution to what you need for your supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com insider. That's athleticgreens.com insider to check it out today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean it's hard it's hard not to value like how many picks they got because even if you didn't like Jermaine Johnson, even if he becomes a halfway decent player and he's one of a bunch of picks, like he's going to be on a rookie contract and mm-hmm. even if he's okay. Uh that was that is the sort of when we talk about draft rationalization, that is one of my favorites of like, well, look, he should have been a or the other one that's become a recent <laughs> favorite is well, the Dallas Cowboys tweeted out their draft board and they had our guy higher than he was taken. And I'm like, okay, and you win a medal for that. I mean, there's like one team that was Lewis seen last year. It's like one team also liked him other than your team. Like, okay, he's a first round draft pick. Uh, the other one is that people will talk themselves into late draft picks as mm. being people who can immediately impact their team. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many times they see it play out in real life that those people do not impact your team right away. It'll still be like, well, you know, we short up that uh, safety group with a, 
fifth round pick. Like, nope, no, you didn't. You didn't shore up anything. But the analysis, I am confident that the analysis right after the draft will be this team filled this need, this team filled this need. And then by the second week of the season, we'll realize that most of the teams didn't actually do that. Yeah. And I think too, what uh, I guess I would urge purple insider listeners, the first round is not the entirety of the draft. Like it's the biggest spectacle and most casual fans maybe watch the first couple hours and it gets too late and they turn it off if their team already picked or whatever. Or even if you are a Vikings fan and you are going to stay up and obviously watch when they go on the clock at 23, that the draft day two is vitally important. And that a lot of times I think the analysis is like, Hey, they didn't fill their most glaring need. There's not a rule that you have to fill your most glaring need um, in round one. And I like tweeted, like, I don't know if this is galaxy brain, but I tweeted late um, recently that your biggest need is not always your most important need. Like right now, the Buffalo bills do not have a middle linebacker. Tremaine Edmonds signed with the Chicago bears they have a bunch of who, you know, guys who you just mentioned, like seventh rounders. They have a third rounder, smaller guy that's not going to play next to Matt Milano. So that's their biggest need. Is linebacker the most important need for them? No. They could get by with whoever they have, add another receiver, add an offensive lineman. You need to keep up with the Chiefs and the Bengals in the AFC. So that's another bit of analysis that I think needs to be kind of ironed out a little bit that the first round is not. Like the draft isn't done after the first round. And I think that's important um, as we move into what I, I start to kind of call it draft weekend because those picks are very important, especially on day two. We're getting so close to the draft that you are literally pounding the table as we speak, breaking this (laughs) stuff down. Um, Yeah. And I, and I don't mean to sound like draft Scrooge. I just have been uh, present for many day threes and the expectations of those players are always, Oh, I love where this guy is going to fit and he's going to become this. And it's like, let's all be reasonable, but we're not like that. We're not reasonable about the draft. No one really is. It would be half as fun if we were two points on that. Um, that if I've said this on the podcast, then you can stop me. But I, I think it's important that with the idea that you mentioned earlier about like, Hey, you're not filling a need with a sixth round wide receiver. I think that is almost always true it's mostly true but a big reason why i think is as a six-round wide receiver your reps are going to be limited and i know you matt being at practice being at training camp you see it if you're a six-round pick and those first couple reps you don't run the route perfectly or you have a drop like good luck man like good luck getting those reps then in the preseason game to then show that you can play so that is it's kind of baked into, Hey, you're a six rounder. And for as much as, and I used to fall into this trap early in my scouting career that I was like, Hey, I love this guy. He was a seventh rounder, but I had him great in the third round. Just the fact that he's picked in the seventh round, even if he truly is this amazing football player that somehow fell through the cracks of the NFL, it's going to be hard for him to make an impact because his reps are going to be so limited. And he has that seventh round label basically on his forehead. The second point that I wanted to mention is the whole Dallas Cowboys showing their draft board thing. If that happens, it probably will. It happens every year. I can't uh, overstate, and this is not like I've talked to every team about this, but draft boards are drastically different in the NFL. I've probably told the story like in the past where in 2017, the Bills were ready to draft Zay Jones at 27 overall after they traded back. Uh, with the Chiefs, kind of a fateful trade, Patrick Mahomes trade. 
they said if Tredavious White is not there, we're going to pick Zay Jones. Tredavious White was there. They picked him, all pro corner. Zay Jones was available all the way in the second round. So, like, I think there is a wide disparity, not just like, oh, hey, for, like, wide receiver 10 to wide receiver 11. I think some teams will have Nolan Smith, let's say, as a top 10 overall pick, and some teams will be like, oh, he's kind of like a third rounder. So you shouldn't be too married to, like, the value that a team got because I think there is a big disparity in these evaluations, which makes sense. There's a bunch of different guys and girls and different – um, teams that are going to obviously have different opinions of all these players. Oh, that's yeah, completely right. And I mean, yeah, there have been stories of, you know, teams that wanted to draft a player in a certain round and what, for whatever reason it didn't happen. And the guy ends up undrafted and they get yeah, you know, exactly. like, well, we were going to draft him in the third, but uh, you know, then he kept falling. So we didn't take him, and then nobody took him. I mean, it's a, it's a completely inexact science that makes it super entertaining. Yeah, and sure. uh, hopefully for everybody's sake, the, and this would be my last one to put confidence on is that I am confident the Vikings will have more picks than they have right now. Because if they only end up with the amount of picks they have right now, it is not going to be a long show for us when we break down the picks. <laughs> it's gonna, we're going to have to really drag it out if we're only talking about five <laughs> players. And I feel like with this regime, with Kwesi, his analytical background, he understands like the, I, I guess, value is the word, or the proper way to navigate a draft is getting as many picks as you can. They traded back last year. His first move as the Vikings GM was, oh, let's trade back. Like maybe a little bit too far. Didn't get the correct value back. But I think he understands it. And I thought it was interesting to go back to the combine quickly. Eric DaCosta, I think we were both standing there uh, during his GM press conference. Maybe it was right before Kevin O'Connell or right after him. Um, And the Ravens GM, like, I think they only have like six picks for like the first time. Like they usually are loaded with picks. They usually get a lot of compensatories. Um, And he was like hammering home, like, oh, we want more picks. Like he basically was saying like, we're going to trade down because we understand the value in getting more of that. And I feel like Kweisi at his age with his analytical background, they will make more picks. So we will have a lot to talk about, um, which that's better than like it. Like if they trade up and they only have four selections, like that would be boring not fun but well, the, we're gonna we're gonna pull out every draft chart they have if they end up with uh, three or four picks <laughs> at some point so uh something that we've done every year that is a lot of fun is we this. have made 90s and early 2000s comparison this is for hendon hooker maybe he even goes back to the 80s he's so old but uh we <laughs> We make these, we make these comparisons both to shot. I mean, have fun with our, you know, childhood watching of football and playing Madden, but also to shine some light because we look at these prospects over and over and over. And we talk about them repeatedly. How can we look at them in a little different way? So we make nineties comparisons. So you've written down a couple, I've written down a couple, and uh, I don't know where you want to begin if you just want to start at the top of your list, but this is something I get excited about for us to do every year is do 90s comps. Yes, before we start, I realize that that I love NFL comparisons and I do spend a lot of time on them because I think they're enlightening, they're stylistic. I've gone over that a lot. You're like the king of comps though because you gave me the idea for the bust comps that that article like blows up on CBS every year and people freak out. And now this one is super fun for the podcast. Um, okay, I will start. We can just rattle through these because I think we have about four or five each. I'm going to go with not exactly 90s. I, I did a, a little bit into the 2000s. This is a number seven overall pick in the 2000 draft. 
Bijan Robinson for Thomas Jones. I feel like they're both like between the tackles. Thomas Jones' biceps were like as big as his head. He was his power back who was pretty athletic. Wasn't like a 4-3 guy, I don't believe, that was like hitting home runs, but was just a quality, like classic early 2000s workhorse. And I feel like running style-wise and just how he's going to be utilized, that's Bijan Robinson to me. I love that. And, you know, I was trying to think about Bijan Robinson comps and you all, you, I mean, you have to set the bar very high because he's being yes. talked about as sort of like one of those elite top prospects. And this is not our bust. So I won't go like uh, Curtis Enos or something, but you know, I was thinking about like the crazy thing about him is that his size is unspectacular. Like it's regular size mm-hmm. for a running mm-hmm. back, but it isn't like, Okay, so he's getting this Adrian Peterson comp. Like, I don't really know about I that. I couldn't go there. I don't think anyone. Sh- I mean, I don't want to ever say like you shouldn't comp to a to a Hall of Famer because eventually there's going to be new Hall of Famers. But Adrian Peterson, I, I didn't see it with Bijan Robinson. But uh, but especially like, I mean, we can for this get you know for this bit like compare them to '90s Hall of Famers if you want to. Sure, I sure. just thought like. Adrian Peterson is so spectacularly large for a running back, like not fat, long, just like so lanky and these freakishly long arms and legs that I don't really see that. And then I was thinking like, is he a Sean Alexander? Mm. And you know, Sean Alexander was not as big as I actually remember him being, but was just kind of this like straightforward rusher that could really like juke people. I think Sean Alexander was a little bit taller but I kind of like that. And I like, you know, B. John Robinson can catch the ball, but I don't think he's some spectacular like downfield threat, like a Marshall Falk or something. So I think I'm going to stick with that. Sean Alexander, a dude who you could see if he had played in the early two thousands, that he'd be rushing for like 1800 yards. I had, yeah, yeah I, had, I had that on my list. I'm going to, I'm going to look how big Sean Alexander was. He seemed like he was big. He seemed like at the time when a lot of backs were like 230 plus, like he was one of the bigger guys. I feel like, didn't he like lead the NFL in rushing a couple of years or touchdowns? Like he was a early, like my earliest days of fantasy. It was like Sean Alexander was one of like the dudes that you would draft early in fantasy drafts. So Sean Alexander, uh, like I think of him as being a fat guy, but he, he was 5'11", <laughs> 225. So not oh, okay. like, not, not, not crazy. Monstrous. His career though was nuts. Like he won the MVP and scored Mm. 27 touchdowns and ran for 1800 yards. And then the next year under a thousand yards because he carried the ball 380 times. So uh, yeah, (laughs) such was life in the year. Let me see here. 2005. Uh, Luckily we've changed that. So I think B. John Robinson is not quite as large, but I will still, uh, what's he listed at? He's close to that, I think. Oh, yeah, no, 215. Okay, I love it. I yeah. actually love it more. Those okay, are two really one? good running backs in the 2000s, and I think those are two apt comparisons. All right, I'm going to go into the 90s now. Zay Flowers, my comparison. I know you're going to love this one. As Zahir Hakeem, St. Louis Rams, round four pick, 1998, part of the greatest show on turf. There was Torrey Holt, there was Isaac Bruce, and then all of a sudden with Kurt Warner, there was this San Diego State guy that was a kick returner that was little. He was like 5'9", 185. Kind of felt like, I don't want to say he was like the reason why that Rams offense or those Rams offenses were so good, but he was like that extra gear that they needed. And I kind of feel similarly with Zay Flowers that 
if my team's drafting Zay Flowers and they're like, hey, you're our wide receiver one instantly, I'd be a little bit like, oh, really? This is our wide receiver one? But if he's your wide receiver two or three right away, can return some kicks, he's good in the end around game, the screen game can get down the field a little bit. As a here, Hakeem, I thought was not an amazing player. And if you look at his stats, like he wasn't um, an all pro type, but he was uh, in his prime uh, in that offense, a very electric playmaker. And I kind of feel similarly about Zay Flowers. I love the pull. I mean, the pull is spectacular. The one thing I remember about Azahir Hakeem is that he was like a 99 speed on Madden. And yeah, he so was so I, fast. You're right. I don't know Madden if Zay Flowers, is he a 99 speed on Madden? Like that's, that's going to make a difference here. Um, yeah, maybe but not. like this is, but that is just a spectacular pull. Uh, that is where I'm most impressed. You know, I've really, I was really struggling with wide receivers because so many of them are small. And it's like mm-hmm. hard to think of small. Yeah, this class receivers. is weird. This so, class is tough because they're so light. Okay, so I was thinking about. Um, let me make sure I have the right guy, because I wrote down. Okay, I do have the right guy. Dion Branch is who I had for Josh Downs, like this undersized kind of a slot dude, like five foot nine. I don't see him as some unbelievable playmaker, but he really like snatches the ball. And, you know, like if you throw it and he's kind of in traffic a little bit, he's going to grab that football. That's Deion Branch. Deion Branch is underrated, man. Let me look at uh, his catches here. He was like, you know, 2005, 78 catches, almost a thousand yards, played with Tom Brady. Nice little, nice little playmaker. Josh Downs, and then, Deion Branch. And then didn't he go, and this is, I, I believe he was Sean Alexander's teammate in Seattle too. I think he went to Seattle and he was actually like still pretty good there that people kind of thought he was just like the by the byproduct of Tom Brady and that he was actually still a good player beyond that. That's a good, good comparison for Josh Downs. Yeah. And he was a second round pick actually Deion Branch. Okay. Too. Which that's probably where Josh Downs is going to go. Uh, let me throw a quarterback at you. Cause we haven't okay. gotten any quarterbacks. I'm going to go CJ Stroud, Mark Brunel. So here's what I like. Now I know it's a lefty righty comp, so we got to bear with me, but this isn't baseball. So this doesn't matter. Mark Brunel was a good athlete and for a time was actually like one of the better runners. In he the was NFL. yeah, just a phenomenal thrower of the football, super accurate, got the ball like in rhythm to Keenan McCardell to Jimmy Smith. If he could drop back, set his feet. And this is back in the day when you just put your wide receivers out wide and had them run like deep hitches and stuff. It was ridiculous. That was it. it was like, if you go back and watch, you'll lose your mind. You're like, what are you doing? You have Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardell and Fred Taylor. And you're like loading up with a fullback. It's whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but one thing that Mark Brunel was a little iffy on, he could do it at times, but he wasn't like this outrageous playmaker. He wasn't like Steve Young or something for another lefty quarterback. He wasn't, you know, Randall Cunningham. He was a good athlete that if you gave him time, I mean, in space, he would make you pay and was just a tremendous thrower of the football. CJ Stroud, Mark Brunel. Well done. I think what's good about that too is that you're definitely right that from my recollection when Brunel played at the time, like you're saying, obviously the quarterbacks were not as athletic as they are today. He was a more mobile quarterback and he did like to take off more than 
I would say probably 90% of the starting quarterbacks in the league then. But there were times where he would look like awkward trying to like elude a defensive end or a linebacker. And I think that's going to happen with CJ Stroud. Like we've all talked about that Georgia game where he kind of turned on the athleticism kind of out of nowhere. But if you watch like the rest of the Ohio state film over the last two years, it's like, Oh, he tried to get away from that edge rusher. And that looked super awkward. His feet looked really heavy. I feel like I just have like glimpses of that from Mark Brunel. That's a good one of, Lefty righty cop from the nineties from Matt. That's fantastic. I mean, we're going deep in the bag here. Uh, 480 yards was Mark Brunel's top rushing season. I feel like that's about where I put CJ Stroud. Yeah. 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 And, and for the whole era adjusted, I feel like 486 yards then was a lot. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Because there was like two real running quarterbacks and that was it. So 480 yards definitely would have been a lot. Okay. Now from here, I'm going to go all Vikings theme because like when Ooh. I was, researching this i was like why am i not doing vikings guys like there's plenty of vikings comps that i could probably sneak in without going adrian peterson or randy moss um we're gonna go a little later uh but it's still a ways ago quentin johnston to 2007 second round pick sydney rice i don't know if it's just the long hair or the single digit number in college sydney rice was number four at south carolina johnston was one at tcu I feel like they're just really similar players, similar body types. Um, there are times where they both would look a little uncomfortable in those contested catch situations. And then there's times where they look like Randy Moss, just 40 inch vertical over the corner, over the safety, plucking the football deceptively good after the catch too. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm so high on Quentin Johnston. And in his prime, Sidney Rice was like that matchup nightmare where you're like, he's big, he's fast. He can beat you over the top, or if you just throw him a slant, he can stiff arm a linebacker and then take it to the house. That's kind of how I view Quentin Johnson in this class. Even though he's not like the perfect receiver, he reminds me a lot of Sidney Rice. I think that is a brilliant comp. I mean, I think that's like right on. That's because I don't think that Sidney Rice was some megastar. Like he was good, and especially with Favre, everyone is probably going to be better with Brett Favre. But, you know, I mean, he wasn't like this unbelievable exactly. yeah. snatch it out of the air, go up over people, but very solid and good yards after catch. Like, I, I like that. I like that. And maybe maybe there is hair bias there. Uh, I think but there I, don't, is. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like they do it, but they do have a similar kind of uh, aesthetic. I like that. So I have a deep in the weeds one for the Vikings comp. And I'm not even sure you'll really remember this guy, but I know Vikings fans will. So, uh is it is it pronounced Jameer Gibbs? Is that is it Jameer, Jameer Gibbs? Yep. Jameer, Jameer Gibbs. Okay. Uh, I've got and then this guy also went to Alabama. David Palmer to Jameer Gibbs because Gibbs is flexible, like catches the ball out of the backfield. He is not super big at all. Five foot nine, two hundred pounds. I think he could be a returner as well kind of a lightning player. David Palmer was mostly a returner and split between the backfield and receiver. But had he played in the year 2023, he would have been used a lot more. Like back in the day, it was like, oh, a little scat back kind of thing coming out of the backfield. Popular player in Minnesota. When but, did he play? Uh, I don't remember like, them, which I'm like, mad at myself for not remembering. 90s, uh, this is a deep in the weeds one. I mean, Was I, it like I, Robert I, Smith era? Um, Yes. Let's see. Was so he like he, the number two or number three then? Yes. So he okay. was mostly a returner from 94 to 2000. He okay. rushed, he only rushed for 630 yards in his career and caught 34 passes, but uh, he, or wait, no, uh, no, he was more of a receiver 
and caught 73 passes and only rushed 34 times. Wow. So he was kind of like this receiver slash running back. Just he wrong number, era. Yeah, he wore the number 22, but he was a great returner, and he would have been like more of a playmaker in today's game like Jameer Gibbs will probably be for an NFL team. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if that's, again, I don't remember him, but if that's how you're describing him, that's is a lot of how I view Jameer Gibbs. I think, again, I have to really think about the era because if it was 94, I think that's how teams would have probably viewed Jameer Gibbs because he was 199 at the combine. And it's like, Oh, he's, can he really hold up between the tackles? Um, only one big time year at Alabama. He was good at Georgia tech before that, but yes, he is a, get him in space type of guy that has enough juice to hit some home runs in the NFL. So if that's how David Palmer was, I, I could see that with Jameer Gibbs. And I'm, I'm not surprised, you know, these nineties comps, I knew you're going to pull I, one out of the weeds. I went way, I went way deep on that because Left I really, field, good because one. what I used to do is on video games, because David Palmer had such amazing speed. I would just put him in his running back all the time. And oh. you're right. He would be paired with Robert Smith. You could put in, just to go completely stupid, because everyone who played video games in the 90s knows that you can hack these games. That's why Easy. games are less fun now, because you can't hack them. So you put Robert Smith and David Palmer in the backfield, one place fullback, you run it to the left one time, you run it to the right. I mean, you're just absolutely unstoppable. So I'm just saying that if anybody still has those games, they should do that. Um, I, let me throw another one at you real quick. How, sure. about, how about Derek Thomas for Will Anderson? I love Will Anderson's lightning quickness, his strength, his violence. This dude is a beast. It's almost like he is so beastly, so consistently beastly. They were like, ah, yeah, that guy. Like, we've gotten bored of Will Anderson. Yeah, we don't even talk about him. I was on a radio show last week here in Buffalo, and they, I mean, we talked about Bill's stuff, obviously, but they're like, you know who we haven't talked about at all this whole draft cycle is Will Anderson because he's just so good. He's from Alabama. He, you know, had 17 and a half sacks as a true sophomore in 2021. Like he's just very uh, obviously going to be good. I, I wouldn't go as far to say Derek Thomas. From what I remember, he had more like Von Miller-esque explosiveness. And I don't, I think Will Anderson is quick. I don't think he's like, shot out of a cannon like Derek Thomas was and Von Miller. Like that's kind of how I view them. I I've gone with the Khalil Mack comp with Will Anderson this whole time. And I, I think anyone that's watched Khalil Mack, you know, you understand that like he's not winning with his sheer explosion. He's strong. He knows how to leverage blockers, get off blocks. That's kind of how I view Will Anderson a little bit more. So Derek, uh, I think Derek Thomas is kind of in his own realm with like the super duper smaller, more explosive and bendier edge rushers. You are right about that. Yeah. The, the quickness is probably hard to match almost historically for mm -hmm. Derek Thomas. Like Lawrence, what, yeah. Like Lawrence Taylor and Von Lawrence Miller. Taylor, Von Miller. Yeah. That. That's probably about it. Sort of league of their own. I guess I was thinking of just somebody who on a play to play basis was so terrifying for the other. Yeah. Team. Like I get just that. can do absolutely everything is a complete monster, but maybe there's more of like a Greg Lloyd to him where it, it mm. is the quickness, but it's also the strength and the violence of the player yeah. as well. But uh, it is funny. Like he's the least <laughs> controversial prospect. Oh, he's great. Someone's going to take him. Whatever. Yeah. And, and it's probably going to be like, like the Arizona Cardinals will have the chance to pick him at three and then they'll be like, no, we're going to trade back, which, I'm the biggest advocate for trading back and the Cardinals roster. I think we talked about it last week is 
garbage. They definitely need a lot more picks, a lot more players, but whichever team picks Will Anderson, they're getting, I think, um, a very high floor and a high upside player because he's not very old as a true junior. We saw it from the get-go as a, a true freshman in 2020. Like We're like, hey, let's chalk this guy up to being a top five pick when he ultimately enters the draft. All right, so uh, you got any more? Yes, I, I have two. I'll go quick. Okay. I'll, I'll good. Kind we got of, all day. We got all day to draft. I'll, I'll kind of break the rules with this one because this is from 2011. It's still It's still 12 years ago. Darnell Washington, I went with 2011 second-round pick Kyle Rudolph, who was big, 6'6", over 260 pounds, was a pretty good blocker coming out of Notre Dame. From what I recall, I was not scouting then, but I was kind of getting into it a little bit. I was writing here and there, Bleacher Report, any site that would let me write for them. And just watching college football, I was like, hey, this guy is huge. He can do everything on all three downs. That's kind of how I view Darnell Washington. And I could see Darnell Washington having a similar career to Kyle Rudolph, where at times, like, yeah, you know, he could make a Pro Bowl, but he's never, like, the guy. He's never a Travis Kelsey or a Rob Gronkowski. Um, But just a very good player that will play on a couple teams and be a, I guess, higher-ish and tight end number one because of his size his physicality, and just kind of his underrated ability as a receiver. Uh, I think that watching Darnell Washington play football is hilarious because it is just, <laughs> it's like, how does it even happen? Uh, I mean, what, what is his list? Six, six, two sixty is what he's listed at. But he was 264 you, at the combine. I think he was 6'7", 264 at the combine. A couple hamburgers away from being like 275 pounds. I mean, this yeah. guy, <laughs> and, and the, right? Like, this yeah. guy is unreal. And I haven't really done any work on the tight end class because the Vikings have just, you know, got it locked down with mm-hmm. uh, Josh Oliver coming here and everything else. But having met Josh Oliver, who is like 6'6", maybe 260, I don't even imagine what this guy looks. He must look like an offensive tackle. This is absurd. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I like that. And, uh, you know, Kyle Rudolph wasn't running away from anyone, but you put it anywhere in his ballpark, he was going to catch it. Um, I got one more for a quarterback. Okay. I want to go Will Levis with Jim Everett. Remember Jim Everett? Yes. I mean, this is going back. This is this is thrown way back. Saints. Just, just this like big armed, big strong dude is probably not doing a whole lot of running. Uh, just just firing bullets left and right. And people, I mean, he was like a prototypical quarterback. And I feel like that's the same way we talk about Will Levis. Just this, like if he was a draft pick way back in the day he'd probably go number one because they would just love everything about all of the mm-hmm. muscles and everything else. And that's how I remember Jim Everett. There's this giant dude with huge muscles everywhere. Yeah. So it's funny that you just ended with that. It's a perfect segue that this is like kind of my, um, how should I say this? My off the beaten path analysis of Will Levis that it kind of feels like he likes the whole like, Hey, I'm going to wear a cutoff shirt. I'm going to show my muscles. I'm going to do the mirror selfie to show that I was already ripped. And now I'm like bodybuilder ripped. I'm going to have my hair perfectly quaffed for my pro day. Talk about it during my combine interview. And then I'm just going to chuck the ball really hard. Kind of like uncle Rico. Like he kind of gives me that vibe a little bit. So I don't remember the super specifics of Jim Everett. I do remember that he did have a big arm. I don't know if he was like that off the field or in interviews, but for as much as I'm, I'm, this like last four months been giving this hardcore football nerdy analysis on Will Levis kind of getting to know him quote unquote 
just from watching him on TV during interviews, it kind of feels like he is kind of that old school, like wannabe gunslinger. That's just like, Hey, there's the check down over there that gets us the first down. No, I'm throwing the 30 yard deep out with all my might at 70 miles an hour across the field. Like he wants to be that kind of quarterback in the NFL. You know, I watched Napoleon dynamite back a few weeks ago, just because it was on. Pulled up. It was funnier when we were in high school. <laughs> it I was definitely <laughs> just a, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the football was better too. The offenses that are, we remember them better than they were. When I, you go back and watch the Jaguars, the Napoleon dynamite was uncle Rico is still hilarious. Throwing a steak at someone <laughs> is super funny, but like it was not, I did not laugh as much as I did in like 11th grade. So uh, anyway, well, this is super fun as always. And uh, next week I feel like, is is hardcore mock time like let's go yeah we gotta do some sims uh, yeah we gotta we we gotta get back into some sims and like really dive deep and be very serious about football and drafts so chris maybe we should wait 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 wait. maybe we should do a sim next week where the vikings trade back like we have to trade back because a lot of those mocks you can do that right the simulators oh yeah 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 yep let's do that this is a good idea of maybe and it was like a little just a show meeting here but i mean i i'm thinking of like (laughs) different draft sim challenges like if you ever watch that show that like car show where they give each other different challenges to do with cars this is like us only with mm. draft sims so that I is like going it. to be must listen um chris uh, your work of course is spectacular cbssports.com people should check that out if they're already not following you on twitter and we will talk again soon thank you my friend thanks matt